Hi and welcome to the St Ninian Sermons Podcast. I'm Stuart and I'm the Minister of St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse in Scotland. St Ninian's is a local ecumenical partnership between the United Reformed Church and the Church of Scotland. That means we reflect the traditions of both denominations in our work and worship. This week in our service we focused on John chapter 10 verses 22 to 39 and John chapter 12 verses 12 to 16. So let's hear this week's passages read by Dixon and then hear the sermon. listen for the word of God as we hear it in John's gospel today and Dixon's going to read for us. Today's first reading is from John chapter 10 verse 22 to 39. It was winter And the festival of the dedication of the temple was being celebrated in Jerusalem. Jesus was walking in Solomon's porch in the temple when the people gathered round him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us the plain truth. Are you the Messiah? Jesus answered, I have already told you, but you would not believe me. The deeds I do by my Father's authority speak on my behalf. But you will not believe, for you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never die. No one can snatch them away from me. What my Father has given me is greater than everything and no one can snatch them away from the Father's care. The Father and I are one. Then the people picked stones to throw at him. Jesus said to them, I have done many good deeds in your presence, which the Father gave me to do. For which one of these do you want to stone me? They answered, We do not want to stone you because of any good deeds, but because of your blasphemy. You are only a man, but you're trying to make yourself God. Jesus answered, It is written in your law that God said, You are God's. We know what the scripture says is true forever. And God called those people God's, the people to whom this message was given. As for me, the Father chose me and sent me into the world. How then can you say that I blaspheme because I said that I am the Son of God? Do not believe me then, if I am not doing the things my Father wants me to do. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, you should at least believe my deeds, in order that you may know once and for all that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father." Once more they tried to seize Jesus, but he slipped out of their hands. Second reading from John 12, 12 to 16. The next day the large crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Praise God! God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord! 
God bless the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, just as the scripture says, Do not be afraid, city of Zion. Here comes your king, riding on a donkey. His disciples did not understand this at the time, but when Jesus had been raised to glory, they remembered that the scripture said this about him and that they had done this for him. Amen. It's a bit of competition this week. I think we're singing the two longest hymns in the hymn book. We're back in John's Gospel. It's Palm Sunday with two passages that are essentially about the same thing. Who is Jesus? The religious leaders are becoming more and more frustrated with him, mostly because he's really clever. And in his answers, he won't say clearly if he is or isn't the Messiah. And I suppose to us that seems a wee bit odd. I mean, why wouldn't he just come out and say, yeah, it's me, I'm the Messiah? What's the problem with saying it out loud? Well, part of the reason is that Jesus wants them to realize for himself. He thinks that's important for us too, that we realize for ourselves. I could stand up here every Sunday and go on and on and on until I'm blue in the face. And to be honest, it wouldn't really matter that much because it's up to you to decide, to realize It's up to you to make your decision about who you think Jesus really is. John's gospel tells us, or tries to make the case by giving signs. There are seven of them. And at this point in chapter 10, Jesus has performed six of the seven signs. He's changed water into wine. He's healed the royal official's son at Capernaum. He's healed a paralyzed man. He's fed 5,000 people. He's walked on water and he's healed a man who was blind from birth. The final sign, perhaps the most significant one, comes between the two passages that we read today. We read from chapter 10 and chapter 12. This one comes in chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But today we are not invited to stand open-mouthed at Lazarus's tomb. This is Palm Sunday. And it's a scene that we know oh so well. So let's hold our palm branches. And join the crowd. It seemed to be a heady day. The morning was warming up. The city was already busy with a million pilgrims, all pushing their way into the city, not built for that many people all heading to the temple to prepare for Passover. The disciples moved down from Bethany Hill, a tiny band against such a huge number of people. They made their way towards the city. Their shouts would hardly be heard. Their mock parades hardly noticed against the Passover surge. And their hazanas, their hazanas fell on deafened ears casting themselves like broken palms across a donkey's pathway. A few years ago, Avril and I visited Jerusalem with a group of young people. There were ten of us, 
And it was Friday. Friday in the old city of Jerusalem is always tense. Friday prayers for the Muslims, the start of the Sabbath for the Jews. But this particular Friday was even more tense than usual. It was the end of Ramadan, so the city was full to bursting of people going to pray at the mosque. Our guide's advice, don't walk in the old city today. So we didn't. We walked around the old city instead. And just as we arrived at the Damascus Gate, we met thousands and thousands of people who had just finished Friday prayers coming out the other way. I've been in a crowd before. I've been at concerts at the old Wembley Stadium with 80,000 people. I've run around the streets of Edinburgh with thousands and thousands of others. I've marched in demonstrations, but I have never stood in the middle of a road like that, surrounded by a sea of humanity as people surged past us, acutely aware of our difference. Acutely aware of my responsibility for eight young people and wondering what on earth would happen next. I've often wondered if it was a bit like that on Palm Sunday for Jesus and his followers, a small group of people who began this really odd wee procession wandering down the hill into the gates of Jerusalem. It's a week of Passover, the festival's just beginning. There are people there from all over, all streaming into Jerusalem from all sides. But the rumors would have preceded them, wouldn't they? Something happening. He's coming. Who's coming? That Jesus guy. He's coming. The one who does the miracles. The one who raised Lazarus from the dead. He did what? No. Nobody can do that. No, he did, really, honest. And look, he's coming. And as crowds so often do, they took notice. And they joined in. And it's all a bit odd, a bit surreal. The big procession of the almighty Messiah, the expectation and the anticipation. It's like a royal parade. The way that Caesar would arrive in one of his conquered cities on a big white horse with his legions lining the way, people straining to catch a glimpse. And so the people wait. And they gather their palms. They start to wave them. And they all know the songs that greet the Messiah, so they all join in. They all know the right psalm to sing. And here he comes. Here he comes at long last. At long, long last, the Messiah has finally come. Hosanna, Hosanna. It means save us. Save us. And they wave their branches and they throw down their cloaks and they greet the new king of Israel. But to be honest, I'm not sure how big the commotion really was. I think we think that Palm Sunday was a big thing. It's a big thing for us. It's one of the most important days in the Christian calendar. But when we read from John's Gospel, it only seems significant with hindsight. The disciples didn't really realize what was going on at the time. They had no idea what to make of all of this. 
And in reality, I think that was a bit like our Damascus Gate experience. Thousands and thousands of people who were completely different to us, us standing in the middle of the road worrying about what was going to happen. And guess what happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nobody bumped into us. Despite our difference and our nervousness, there were smiles and nods as people passed us by. Assalamu alaikum, they said. Peace be with you. Alaikum salam, we said. And peace be with you. And the people went on their way. And when they'd passed, we went on ours. The crowds had just turned up. They saw the fuss and then they went on their way. Probably wondering, what was that all about? Wondering if this really was the guy that they'd heard about. How could it be? I mean, surely someone who could bring the dead back to life would be, well, a bit more impressive. The Romans didn't even notice this wee parade. Because if they had, Jesus would have been huckled and taken straight to Pilate and killed for treason. But there Jesus was, planting another seed, turning the idea of the Messiah upside down again, fulfilling his rejection of the temptation that he was faced with right at the beginning of his ministry to take power over all of the kingdoms of the world. And he didn't do it. It's no surprise that the Pharisees are exasperated. They'd waited hundreds of years for the Messiah. Every day they read the scriptures about how the new king would come and Israel would be restored and released and transformed into the kingdom of God once more. And they longed for it with all their hearts. Why wouldn't he just tell us plainly? Just say it. But there's a danger in that. If he says it, then they can kill him. Blasphemy. To claim to be the son of God. Blasphemy. It's a bit like the old test for a witch. We'll burn you at the stake and if you don't burn then you burn me a witch so we'll drown you. Either way, it's not going to end well for you. And all because Jesus isn't the Messiah that they wanted. They didn't want someone who would ride on a donkey. They wanted a new King David with a big white horse and shiny armor and a great big sword and somebody that would end the Romans and free them and tell them that they'd done really well. They'd been persistent and they'd, they'd kept on and they'd believed and cement their position of status and authority because all would be well. But he doesn't. That's not what he does. In fact, he does exactly the opposite. Jesus points out their hypocrisy, their lack of faith, and even worse, the lack of understanding of their own scriptures. And that's the final nail for Jesus. Experts hate it when you tell them they're wrong. 
and they try to capture him. And once again, Jesus somehow slips from their grasp. It's not time yet. It will be soon, but not yet. For in this holiest of weeks, there are things to be said and things to be done. When they came near Jerusalem, a large voice, a large crowd praised God in loud voices. God bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It was the week of the parade. The roadside crowds delighted in their pretender taking the throne. It's the way to riot the crowds. This is the way of love. He began to drive out the merchants, shouting, My temple will be a house of prayer, not a hideout for thieves. And he drove them out. It was the week of the temple. And the priests saw to it that this pretender would never have his throne. This is the way to conspiracy. This is the way of love. Jesus went to the home of Lazarus and Mary took half a litre of pure, expensive perfume and poured it over Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. It was the week of anointing. The perfume saved for the pretender without a throne. This is the way to unbalance the establishment. Because this is the way of love. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. And Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It was the week of torture. The nails had been prepared to nail the pretender to his throne. This is the way to establish peace. This is the way of love. A large crowd followed him as he was led away. Among them there were some women weeping and Jesus turned to them and said, Don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children. It was the week of the cross. The wood had been waiting for the pretender to take his throne. This is the way the silence would be disturbed. This is the way of love. This holy week. Without this week, the journey from light into darkness back into light and our faith means nothing. There can be no resurrection if there is no crucifixion. There's no eternal life if God's Son does not die. There can be no forgiveness if there is no wrong done. And this is the journey we have to make. This is the journey where our faith is laid bare. This This is where the palms that we wave are fashioned into crosses in our hands. This is Holy Week. This is Holy Week. 
This is everything. This is Holy Week. We have begun the journey to the foot of the cross. And because we journey through this week, there is no end to our service today. We are left without blessing, without benediction, without comfort. We are left standing by the roadside wondering what all the fuss was about, wondering what the parade was for, wondering what will happen to the man on the donkey. We're left listening to the whispers, wondering if he could be the Messiah, wondering if the religious leaders will tolerate arrival, wondering if the Romans will let this mocking parade go unchallenged. A dark day awaits, a barren place filled with shadow and death, loneliness and uncertainty. So may we travel now into the story of light, even as the darkness comes, and kindle a flame that dares us to believe that this is not the end. Thanks for listening. We create our podcast using anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse and on Twitter at St Ninian's Stonehouse where you can find out all about the other great things that go on in our church and in our community. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.